morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us connected, and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. I don't know about you, but it's really difficult for me to process the sheer amount of global disasters we're facing. Two years of trying to navigate the pandemic. The United Nations declared this week that it's a code red on our climate meltdown. And now Putin's invasion and the reality that Europe is at war. How do we make sense of it all? And most importantly, how do we continue to connect and make a difference? With this much coming at us, I have to say my instinct is to pull inward and to isolate and to think of think to myself, okay, so what can I do? Um, it's all too much. But doing that, even though it may seem like the safe thing to do, it's not brave. And it gives up on connection and making a difference. And in a world where ethics seem to be deeply in question, how do we grapple with our own personal ethics? How do we do our work to stay engaged and make a contribution? So how do we be brave? And to help us navigate this brave journey, I have an amazing guest who can help us explore our personal ethics in a very engaging way. I have Rick Bernardo joining us. Welcome, Rick. Good morning. Good morning. You are just a delight to have on the show today. I'm excited to have you join us. And to let the audience know a little bit about you, your mother was Connecticut's Sealy Weather Girl on Channel 30 in CBS. Your father yeah. pioneered FM radio through WTYD in southeastern Connecticut. And after earning degrees in science and religion, ethics, um, you devoted years to a combined career in community health and entertainment. And besides being a musician and an actor, you've done stand-up uh, on ABC's America's America's Funniest People. You've done venues across the U.S. doing your, your comedy, but you've also done this nonprofit work uh, where you've helped design and direct statewide public health programs through both California Medical Association and the Minnesota Department of Health, and that led to protecting millions of lives. And then for the last 13 years, you have taught organizational leadership, business ethics, and cyber tech ethics at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. You've overseen communications development, nonprofit causes, and you've got great multimedia classes. And with all the craziness of these disasters, I thought, you're the guy I want to talk to. <laughs> well, that's a good start. That. That's impressive to me. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, 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 I'm at the point where there, you know, one disaster, can we just have one disaster at a time? But we don't, you know, we're bombarded. And there are times when I just kind of feel like, how, what kind of framework do I even use to look at this? Yeah. Well, we have to work on all that. But uh, what, what I'll do is uh, 
if, you, if it's okay, um, yeah. I'll just say what ethics is and try and try to use normal language <laughs> because <laughs> you know when you take a course in school, it's like uh, you read these three volumes and uh, learn words that you've never seen before and then try to use that every day. <laughs> well, you know when when I think of ethics, I, and this is just my simplistic first. How do I feel? Sometimes it feels like ethics is knowing what's right and wrong. You know, yes, no. Um, and it seems sometimes a little too tidy, um, like it's this yardstick that we use. But I don't feel like life is tidy. <laughs> it seems pretty messy to me. And I, I don't always know how to apply the process of ethics um, if it in a more uh, meaningful way or, or, or understanding what I do may be the process of ethics. Yeah. Uh, the way I think about ethics is, is it's a tool. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I call it uh, there's a moral technology that we can use and we do it anyway, but generally we do it kind of unconsciously. We ha- uh, but I want to go back to first, how do we know we're talking about ethics? Right. And it's just very simple. Uh, if, if you're thinking or talking or worrying about right and wrong, that's morality. That's ethics. They're almost interchangeable. Uh, when we teach ethics at, uh, in educational settings, ethics is called ethics because it's more of our system or our tools for how we determine right and wrong. Morality is uh, basically the overall overarching topic. So right and wrong, good or bad. Now think of how much of life is taken up in our, the real estate of our brain by thinking about right and wrong, good and bad, it's there hardwired just about all the time. Mm-hmm. We, we can't look at something where I think that's wrong, that's mm-hmm. right, that's good, that's bad. We just do it automatically. But when we're stuck somehow or really upset about some kind of right and wrong, it really helps to have to be conscious of what the tools are. What is the moral technology of ethics we can use? And it just comes down to language. Uh, how do we talk about it? How we think about it in a way that actually moves us forward, how helps us grow. And to talk about your show really connects with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we do that? So that's the overall topic. And what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> As we are looking at the disasters that have come our way, and it, it, ah. it sometimes feels like some of these disasters are the outgrowth of not so ethical, you know, not so right uh, yeah. decisions okay. in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. look at the climate issues and a lot of that's been self-induced because we've been kind of greedy in the way that we want to use oil and not care about the implications. If yeah. I look at the war, I look at someone being greedy and not necessarily – uh, connecting with humanity, yeah. <clears throat> and it seems very selfish. And that there's there seems to be some, and to me, there's like those are kind of easy right wrong. You know, as you said, to keep ourselves safe. I think we we our brain is created so that we keep ourselves safe by going you know yes no right wrong, uh, safe yeah. unsafe, and it just feels like I'm an overload of unsafe right now. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Trying to process what can I do when everything around me feels like it's unsafe and there's questionable ethics as to the root of some of these challenges. And and maybe a little bit beyond my control, 
so there's a, a tendency to just sort of give up and go, okay, well, I can't do anything. But that that's – I want to do the counterintuitive yeah. and go during this craziness when I want to isolate, how do I connect? Sure. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll say two things about that. Uh, one is I remember Eric Idle uh, yeah, had a show in the Twin Cities and then right uh, – and I got to meet him. He was just a, an amazingly – peaceful spiritual guy but the next night i saw him on television and he was talking about being overloaded by bad news and tragedy and he said it's, it's important to be aware of something you can make a difference about mm-hmm. but otherwise it, it, it can be just toxic right and he was saying we need to be an alert and aware and make the difference we can and that's an important policy to uh, abide by um, because I can't go into the Ukraine myself right now, for instance. I can't um, make policy for the nation on COVID-19. But I have a, a role I can pick where I can maybe use my skills and talents to be a part of that larger thing. Um, so that kind of focus can help. Uh, and that kind of uh, self-care actually is what it is. And, and it's not resigning. It's not giving up. It's just saying I'm not going to be overwhelmed and I'm going to make the difference I can. That's a form of commitment. Uh, the other thing I, I want to plant two seeds about, though, is I'm going to break down ethics into maybe just two approaches. You c- because the important question about uh, ethics and right and wrong that we're talking about is, well, why is that right? Mm-hmm. Why is that wrong? And you, you talked about checking boxes. That's kind of one way uh, out of two ways we think about right and wrong. Uh, We can follow the rules. Uh, We can have an agreement with others. Uh, We can just go along with an organizational policy like a church policy or a law. Right. Uh Uh, Those are rules that that says what's right and wrong. And it's measurable. I mean, you know. Yeah. You you can use I'm on this side of the line. I'm on that side of the line. Uh, But. Sometimes those lines are wrong. <laughs> so there's a downside to that. <laughs> kind of messes with you. <laughs> the lines are in the wrong place and you didn't know it, but you're just going along with it. Right. Uh, sometimes they're really great, you know. Um, another – so sometimes we – there's an old saying in the arts, um, know the rules and then you know when to break them. Mm. So uh, there's a lot of that going on here. Uh, but you want, you want to be aware of what am I agreeing to. But there's a – at least another way to talk about right and wrong. One is also what's the results of doing what we're doing. And that's important to look at. Is it, is it creating mass carnage or not? That That's a tip-off. That, that's, <laughs> uh, about, you're, about, you're on the right track of it being wrong when you come to the conclusion yeah. of, yeah, mass carnage is not I, good. I'm contributing to mass carnage. Yeah. Maybe that's not right. Right. Exactly. Right. So um, uh, I'm exaggerating to make the point. but right. But – Sometimes that's what people actually really are doing. Contributing um, uh, <laughs> to mass carnage, be like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this because why? I don't like it. Well, <laughs> huh. so anyway, so there's a, a just a couple of um, at least three or four approaches to to right and wrong. And I had one of my first mentors in ethics at graduate school in, in Berkeley say, you know, you just try to be a three year old now and then, like, and it was like, what? I was like, yeah. Ask why. 
<laughs> and and don't you love it? it I mean we get tired because at, at a point the three year old can point out to us is that we don't know <laughs> oh yeah they'll, they, they and can then they'll nail continue. us after the fifth why we're like I don't know and and they're yeah. still curious and we've sort of shut off that curiosity yeah. um, because so, we've accepted because it's easier just to accept and move forward yeah. now I would want to point out a lot of people avoid that because it's it, seems messy it's like Mm -hmm. it's it's not clear always but i would propose that this is all a journey this is all about growth this is all about not us being right or wrong like individually as our identity it's about how we can connect with ourselves and our deepest selves and everybody around us in a powerful way in a really inspiring way so that's the opportunity of talking about right and wrong in a deliberate, conscious way. And, and we're going to have, yeah. and we're going to have the opportunity to do a little deeper dive with that in our next segment, um, because I want to, I want to talk about this in the context of looking at at, at various disasters. Let's <laughs> the the disaster yeah. of choice for our next segment. Um, I'd like to do a deeper dive with COVID and. Also talk to you about some of the deja vu happening all over again in terms of it's very similar to, I think, the, the struggle that we had with tobacco and public health. But I want to let the audience know if you want to hear this um, again or tell friends about hearing this on the podcast, you can go to am950radio.com and you can go to the Connections podcast by clicking on the Connections radio show logo. We'll be right back. Rick Bernardo and I will be exploring personal ethics as uh, we live through our global pandemic. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And today we're talking about our ethical journey through global disasters. And we're going to be talking in this segment about COVID and how we've been coping with it. Uh, And a little bit about our guest today, Rick Bernardo. After earning his degrees in science and religion, which ethics. Um, Rick devoted years to a combined career in community health and entertainment. His nonprofit work includes designing and directing statewide public health programs through the California Medical Association, as well as the Minnesota Department of Health. And that work helped protect millions of lives. And today, Rick's joining us to talk about ethics, how to use it, and how to engage um, our personal ethics. Uh, Rick, we've talked about your work in tobacco and um, inviting the tobacco industry, essentially, uh, for public health. Love to have you share just a kind of a, a nutshell overview of that work. And um, then let's talk about how it, it just feels so eerily familiar to the struggles that we're having right now in public health with COVID. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and uh, by the way, Gloria, I'm, I'm still Rick. Oh, uh, good. Yes. Good. I, I have good to say that out loud. Not for you. No, that's just for me. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, many years working with amazing leaders, a lot of uh, on, on tobacco related issues oh, as a public health matter, not as a personal morality. It's bad that you mm-hmm. smoke. It's good that you smoke. Notice that's moral language. there. Right. All right. Uh, but people know it's it's not good for them. But there's something else going on. But in public health, what we did is we worked on policies that help us as a community 
change. And uh, what, uh, what was happening uh, actually in the past couple of years with COVID, um, we've seen the kind of mass death that we have seen due to a tobacco company pushing and selling a product for, for profit. And they've seen the same kind of carnage for at least 80 years, Mm -hmm. every single year in this country. So there's something going on there that is speaking about connection. There's a disconnect. If we say we care about people, if we say we're for life, uh, not if there's money at stake. The the profit motive seems to, to trump a lot of things. And tobacco has a unique history in our country in that it actually preceded cotton plantations as a matter of slavery. When I ended up working with faith leaders around the country on on this as a community issue, not as a personal issue, they would often say, especially I remember some in, in uh, Virginia and Georgia said, you know, it's just another version of plantation system. Sell this product to people so that they you can make money off of them before they die. Uh, that that really raised the hairs on my neck when I heard them talk about it that way in the South. Uh, so um, let's zoom to uh, a few years ago in my work in public health. This is not long after I moved to Minnesota uh, and started working with faith communities on this issue. Uh, so for, make a long story short, short or, or shirt. I should wear a shirt, actually. Um, then. Um, Dr. C. Everett Koop, who is probably the most well-known uh, Surgeon General of the United States in certain circles. I mean, if you don't know who he is, then he's not that well-known to you. But anyway, he's, he's one of my he heroes. That, yeah. He looked like uh, an Amish uh, uh-huh. Navy ar- Admiral. Yeah. You know? uh, but he was also principled incredibly and i met him through some conferences and he found out that he and i both grew up on the niantic river in southeastern connecticut and loved to sail there uh is what it was so he he didn't grow up there but he had a a sailboat there for the same years that i was doing it so anyway we started talking one day he just kind of emailed me invited me to lunch uh from minnesota so anyway I, i had lunch with him he told me a story in that setting, uh, 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 he was working at Dartmouth at the time, and he, he looked at me at one point and he said, I'm going to tell you something, Rick. Uh, when I was a Surgeon General and AIDS started happening, this was a large national public health emergency. But without, with maybe the exception of the president, who was Reagan at the time, he said, everybody in the administration – did not want to do anything about it because then uh, there wouldn't have to be as many of certain kinds of people in our country. It just hurts that hearing is that. Spooky. Uh, just... uh, he said. He said, "I'm a Republican, and I've been." He said, "I'm a Republican my whole life because I believe in certain principles." But this, this health issue, disease, does not pick favorites. We just don't do that. And he was very principled about that. And and he got a lot of flack. Um, from a lot of Republicans for wanting to stop mass carnage. So there's a parallel now today in that how hard is it uh, for us as a community to do things like wear a mask, get a vaccination. There's always good reasons to not do some of those. So I'm not arguing individually with people about that, but there's a, a pervasive attitude of like, I don't want to. 
Um, and it has, let's go back to ethics. In ethics courses I would teach, there's a number of expert sources that would be able to evaluate sociologically our culture. And the United States is off the charts in being individualistic and not wanting to get together with collective policies. It, it was just like it was measurable. So that means if you're not able to think collectively, you don't even know that because you can't think collectively. You're not even aware. Of you're your so culture. steeped in the culture that you can't recognize that it's the culture. Oh, right. And, yeah. and that means we're individualistic mm -hmm. to a fault, literally to a fault. So we, we see the results of death, mass death. We have talk about ethics, right and wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't handled this well as a, as a globe or as a nation. We just look at the results. That's not good results. No. Nine hundred thousand and counting. Yeah, that's. How do you say that would even be – it's not a goal. It's not – and so, it's not acceptable. I mean at a certain no. point you just go, how did this happen? But at the other point, what do you do? Because it's, yes. it's been part of a political divide that um, – yeah. how do you make a connection there? And how, it's really hard to know how to make a difference. I mean that – I felt that during this two years of COVID, it's just been easier just to you know go inward and – and, yeah. and isolate and that that's helped because i feel safer you know medically but that doesn't that that's it feels an abdication not to feel like i have to i i, I can still make a contribution somehow so the pervasive reality is at the same time as we kind of want to hibernate and especially in minnesota it's just winter you just want to yeah. do that anyway <laughs> exactly so we've just had on top of that business corporate prop Profit policies are not asleep. Uh, they have lobbyists. They have power. They get people elected. Uh, I would just suggest that we can't afford to hide because they're not hiding. And we see the results are a lot of death, a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering for people. I don't want that. Uh, I don't think anybody consciously would want that. Uh, but it's what we're seeing to the degree we see that. We need to be conscious and, and do what we can collectively because we, we can't do it alone. And with that, I'm going to need to take a break. But I want to encourage our audience, uh, consider telling folks about this and having them be able to listen to the podcast. You can listen to it on am950radio.com and you can get to it by going to our logo of the Connect Connections radio show. We're talking with Rick Bernardo. We're going to continue our conversation on uh, personal ethics, how we can connect and make a contribution. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas matter. And today we're talking about our ethical journey through global disasters and what work we can do to stay engaged and make a contribution. In our last segment, uh, we had Rick Bernardo uh, talking with us about public health, uh, our individualist culture, um, and how that has been impacting our reaction to COVID. And we started our conversation talking about how do we move from isolation to community? And Rick is a wonderful guest. He has earned his degrees in science and religion. Um, he's devoted years to a combined career in community health and entertainment. 
For over 13 years, Rick has taught organizational leadership, business ethics, and cyber tech ethics at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. He's overseen communications and development for nonprofit causes and presents multimedia educational programs on communications, ethics, and well-being for diverse audiences around the country. Welcome, Rick. We're glad you're here. Thank you so much. I wanted to be just, with you. Yeah, I just want to mm-hmm. finish up a little bit more about public health and the individualist individualist culture because I think that ties into some of our other disaster <laughs> issues that we're working on as well. Um, and thinking about you know how how the COVID how the mass became a political statement instead of a science proven method to reduce the spread of the disease. Um, how, how did we get to the point where being an individual was more important than caring about another person? Uh, this is a, a mystery for the ages. Yeah. And I'm not going to leave it there, but it, that's, yeah. that's the question a lot of people have. Uh, there's generally something unconscious going on. You know, uh, if I if you were to ask somebody deliberately, do they want this or they want that? Or, and and I don't probably, think I don't think really anyone you know. wants to hurt another person. Right. <clears throat> there, but there's sort of a de- default position happening uh, and, and where people either are giving up or becoming cynical. Like there one thing that happens in our culture very easily is there's so much promotion of uh I'm going to put this uh, fake news. That's yeah. that's a buzzword, right? Yeah. Uh, our our uh, so there's Trump a, used to talk a disp- about fake news. A all disbelief the time. in science, then that it's not and real. In any any what used to be authority, what uh-huh. used to be a proper authority with expertise, that has eroded tremendously. So people uh, are taking a, a, one of two positions to give up. One is just, I give up. I'm, I'm going to hide. We talked about that already. Yeah. The other is cynicism, which is uh, Mother Teresa and everybody else is in it for the promotion and, and the ego trip. They're not really trying to do the right thing. I'm not going to believe them. I'm not going to believe the scientists. I'm not going to believe that journalist. I'm not going to believe anybody. And, and you're Mandela. imposing you're an imposing on me. And I just don't like when people impose on me as part of the, you know, that well, it's not fair that you're too. imposing. And you, you combine those two things and you've got a recipe for incredible resistance. Mm-hmm. Because um, There's a number of ethicists who are point out pointed out that uh, we live in different worlds of information, and that's a huge shift in the past 30 years in our country. People live in silos of their world reality is starkly different. We have the same values, but the map we're using to get from A to B to, to the results we want, that's, again, one, one approach to ethics. What do you want? Well, the maps we're using are starkly different. No, masks don't work because of all this stuff I ever heard. I heard on this website that I have no idea where it came from. Right, but that's but I'm okay using ivermectin. That's you know for horses and deworming. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a different world. Yeah, it's a different. It's not literally a different world, but it's a different perceptual world. Mm-hmm. So it's that. You can't do anything with that except and, – and here's the thing. To wake up out of from one world to another, from one paradigm to another, it's really upsetting. Mm-hmm. If you ever found out that you've been wrong about something your, your whole life sometimes, uh, people do it. People have breakthrough 
growth and transformation. Those, but those aha something. moments, right? Yeah. And it takes a safe, consistent community environment to move into something actually more real and what I would say is more ethically powerful and inspiring. But a lot of people are stuck in, uh, in a version of flat earth in a lot of areas of knowledge. So you combine that with, with uh, the individualism that we talked about before. And that's, like I said, a recipe for incredible resistance to making real progress together. Well, what's interesting yeah. to me is, is, is when we're talking about this is are the choices and how choices do shift. But sometimes choices don't shift for the aha moment in the way that, you know, builds community. I, I think in terms of the reaction to Putin and Russia, for many, many years, there's a platform of, you know, how do we make sure that um, sovereign states are respected? And that we support that and we support democracy. And yet Putin decides to call something independent and there's a group of politicians that go, well, it's great. He can, you know, he's strong, he's powerful. Isn't that terrific? And it's like, no, that's a sovereign state he's going into. He's just declared war. But on the other hand, I also am very – excited about the numbers of people who are going to protest this and that are out there and making their contribution and having their voice be heard that says, no, this is wrong, countries that are, are not supporting it. But how, how do you make a shift that, you know, our platform of Russia not being um, – acceptable to go into sovereign states to, you know, cheering for them seems like a bizarre shift. Yeah. So this is a great opportunity uh, to add this one other voice in the world of ethics that we all know, but I haven't mentioned it yet. I mentioned results, you know, what's going to happen that would make something right or wrong. I mentioned rules, uh, which could be a collective agreement we're going to do this together right uh and we're going to do it by these uh rules or principles third one though that you really have opened the door to talk about is uh how are we being about this who are we being and as a society that's individualist uh we're also a little bit well really blind to this sort of language about inner character inner moral character so the words for that sort of right and wrong language are, uh, am I being brave? Mm-hmm. Am I being honest? Those are all qualities. Am I an honest person? And am I being mean? Am I being kind? Those are all qualities of being human for better or worse, right? And so how is it that people would follow somebody who's a bully? That's that happens a lot. We've yeah. seen that. And, and autocratic that. across – there's autocracies that are you know, playing on that. There, there's a cult of authoritarianism. Right. Exactly. So – but we're – in a lot of countries, and ours in particular right now, uh, there's this blind spot to, yeah, but they're being mean. You know, we, we 
should be able to pull out and go, I'm not going to follow that. But we're uh, enough people are not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because everybody's attracted to power. And it's, I would say it's not real power. It's just, just being a bully. It's control, being controlling. It's being mean. It's not what I would call truly human power that actually has us connect at the deepest levels with one another, being kind and compassionate, being generous. Those are all moral words. All right. How do I want to be? How do I feel complete? How do I feel really like myself and not resigned, mm-hmm. not uh, cynical? So that, and, that's and another po- part of the moral journey. And the power to make a contribution is that that that's the um, the yeah. brave part. You know, is that I we instinctively know that we can offer something. Yes. But why do we? It, there's a sense of like when it's so big, it's like you give up on it instead of going, okay, I got to dig deeper and figure out what can I do right now. What, in this yes. in this moment, what can I do to make a contribution? So the two questions you, you you put at our doorstep here, Lori. One is what do we do about it? And I'm suggesting it, there's a lot of planning and, and collective work that we could do together. And at the same time, it starts with unless we have the courage or unless we have the um, uh, use any moral words you want that you want to be. Uh, unless we have the kindness and the generosity or uh, to do it, it it's not going to get done. Uh, so there's a, a, a language of moral character that we have not developed well enough in our country. And it's not about calling people names either. It's not about hating. It's not about being mean. It's just being it's being aware of how we're being and how somebody else is being and helping each other shift from in ethics, like being mean is not good. And yeah. for most humans, it's not. It's just not. Being nasty is not good. So it's being aware of that so we can then use that language in our heads, in our souls, and with one another. So there's this, it's called deont- uh, ontological ethics is what it's called. How are we being? And it's the root of everything. And that's why uh, there's so many practices like meditation in order to be incredibly aware of what we're thinking and who we want to be. And that ties in, as I'm doing my own aha moment with you, um, to your passion for well-being. You know, what, how do we invest in our own well-being so that we have the resources within ourselves to be in the moment and, and to be brave? Gotcha, yeah. You know, I just, I just landed on a memory of uh, – I was reading about I, – I, I've read a lot about comedians and so forth because of my work in comedy. And there was a guy named Joey Bishop. Do you remember yes, who that I was? Yes, I remember Joey. He was on uh, The Tonight Show a lot. I loved him. He was, and he had his own show, The Joey yep. Bishop Show. Yeah, he worked yeah. with Frank what Sinatra. What a character. Yes, he, yes. Sammy Davis Jr. He yeah. was what, what they called the old Rat Pack gang. Absolutely. But he, here's the thing. Those other guys in the Rat Pack were womanizing uh, – uh, marginally alcoholic you right, know, in some right. ways. The martini uh, group, so, yes. Right, there we go. Uh, Joey Bishop was a well-known straight arrow, straight up, nothing, like so clean in uh-huh. uh, in uh, a lot of ways. But he was brilliantly funny. In any moment, he would say the one thing to crack up the room. He just was incredibly powerful in that way. He just knew what to say and it would pop the balloon. And, and, and brilliant timing. Just yes, could exactly. land it. So here's the point. He was asked one time, how does he do that? You know what his answer was? Absolute peace of mind. Wow. And they said, what? And he said, I do everything I need to every day to be complete with myself and other people. Otherwise, I couldn't do what I do. Wow. Wow. 
I've never forgotten that. And we're going to leave it for this segment on that perfect timing and perfect sense of peace and well-being. And I want to encourage the audience to stay with us. Uh, Rick is guiding our journey and thinking through how do we create resources within ourselves to face these global disasters and well-being's at the heart. And our next segment, will continue that conversation with Rick. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we've been talking about COVID and war and how to stay engaged uh, in a world where it seems like everything is falling apart, but we can have an ethical journey throughout it all. And it's been delightful to have uh, a, a guide, Rick Bernardo, who has been helping us think about these disasters through the lens of looking at ethics and looking at well-being. Uh, we've also had a chance to talk about Joey Bishop and and how he could stay in the moment uh, and be at peace. I'd like to talk about art with you, Rick, but I, w- I want to make sure the audience knows a little bit about you if you've just joined us. Um, Rick, after he has earned degrees in science and religion, he devoted years to a combined career in both community health and entertainment. And besides being a musician and an actor, he also has done some uh, stand-up. And he was on ABC's America's Funniest People. And he's also done it in venues throughout the the country. He's worked with U.S. nonprofit causes. And he presents multimedia educational programs on communications, ethics, and well-being. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rick. All right. Thanks for being with me in turn. Absolutely. uh, you mentioned ABC's America's Funniest yeah. People. I still, uh, that was, uh, here's the thing. It was one of those shows that had goofy stuff on it. Uh-huh. So I had got called to an audition in Monterey, right on the Monterey Bay. Uh, that was worth it alone going uh-huh. there. Uh, uh, but they said, bring something kind of goofy. Yeah. Not too intellectual. I was like, uh, yeah, I think I can do that. <laughs> so, uh, but I only had, as a result, 23 seconds on national television, right? And it was right before the chihuahua that fell into the birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> and Well, that's a the, pretty good lead-in. You know, you got to admit. Ch- <laughs> the chihuahua got 27 seconds, <laughs> which is two hours in dog time. So way more. We, way more than you we, got. So we come back to a principle of an ethics that things should be fair. Yes. And, and that wasn't fair. No. Right? no. But engaging. <laughs> it was engaging. Yes. But out of that 23 seconds, I got a 15-minute stand-up uh, routine. So, <laughs> some of which you probably just heard. Uh, so uh, anyway. I love it. So anyway. Uh, but art. That's yeah. an art. Uh, yeah. how, how do you how do you show up and do something that inspires and moves people? Um, that's what all art uh, does in some way. Uh, well, I think there's it, different versions. It asks yeah. questions. I mean, the questions can be 
not ones that are deeply wrestling. I mean, a chihuahua falling into a cake has a certain artistic relatability and enjoyment. It doesn't it's ask too much of, of questioning into global disasters. But, but yeah. it, it allows you a moment of like, you know, a relatability, uh, especially if you've owned pets over the years as I have. They do seem yeah. to have fun and get into mischief. Uh, but it does. But it does ask a question, and I think that's part of what we need to keep doing: is keep asking the question. We, we talked in the first segment about like the three-year-old that says "why," but why, but why, and then we go a little crazy by the fifth "why" because you know we run yeah. out of what to say. And and how can we go back to that joy of wondering and and asking why and what can we do? And I think art yeah. art can do that. Art art asks us to wrestle with something. Um, and, and here's the thing. When you say art and even the word artist, mm-hmm. when somebody says that, uh, we tend to think in our culture, uh, oh, that person or that person. Sometimes we are an artist, but not always. But I would suggest we are always. To be human is to be able to create things. And we do that. I've had students in my classes where we were uh, graduate school, organizational leadership, asked to do something kind of creative, draw like a drawing. And it wasn't just a, a silly thing. It was really to tap a language that we all have. And somebody would say, I'm not good. I'm not good. I was like, this is not, not about being good. It's about going somewhere. So we're in a different place. Like the, the why question. After the third why, you're in a different place, you know. <laughs> Uh, and that's what this tool is about anyway. And I've had students uh, wake up to the fact that when they walk into the room, they don't create wonderful paintings, but they create a different kind of room because just of who they are, the way they talk to people, what they do. Uh, we all create things. We all have skills and talents. And to find that is, is uh, really, truly powerful in the human way that you and I are talking about, about, about connecting with others. And it's, and it's so, level, and- levels of showing up, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. it, the more you, I think, are comfortable in your skin and are willing um, to fail and not always look good, um, that's brave and that's showing up. That That's, you know, being in that's that a huge moment. Part. Yeah. It's a huge part of growing not only as an artist but as a human being. It just is. And uh, there's an old joke in New York about the uh, – somebody stopping a woman on the corner and on Madison Avenue. And they said, you know, the way to, how to get to Carnegie hall. And the woman goes, practice. practice. <laughs> yes. uh, so a lot of this is you just, you practice it, uh, whether you think you're an artist or not. Um, so the other dimension though, that, uh, I'm getting from what you're talking about is this, uh, it's, we can't do, I don't think we do it by ourselves. Any of this. Uh, there's an old saying that transformation happens in community. It does. And I would say that community can happen in a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be a room full of people. It can be community with nature. It could be community with a canvas, with an instrument. I sit at the piano and things come to me. Sometimes I end up crying. There's something happening outside of myself where it feels that way. Who knows what really is? I don't know. It just feels that way. And, my- and I end up sometimes crying. And my wish for the audience today is that as we are being overwhelmed with so many things is try to find that connection. Try and find that community and look within yourself to find the power to connect and make a contribution. We've got 30 seconds. 
Want to give us one last encouragement, my friend Rick? Uh, uh, just to say that was awesome and inspiring and just uh, be like Lori. Oh. <laughs> Rick, you're going to have to come back. We're going to have to have some more conversations. Uh, it, it's time for us to continue to look at what are the connections that we make and, be, and live much more purposefully because that's what opens the door, I think, to the true joy. So stay with us for next week, too. We'll look forward to having you be there.